Rescue the Fosters is about changing the foster system. We want to ensure every child has a safe environment to grow and become healthy, successful adults. Additionally, when I was in the foster care system, I had to defend for myself. Rescue the Foster is here to empower the youth aging out of the system and offer resources to ensure they are not dependent on the government. What we observed was that children become institutionalized and end up in prison and providing the government with more funds. Rescue the Foster will provide coaching, resume writing, interview skills, professional attire for interviews, budgeting, applying for college, and obtaining housing. We want these youth to live the most free, successful life possible. It is their right and our responsibility to ensure that our future kids and grandchildren can live happy lives. Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, praise the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Welcome to Red, White, and Boom Rescue the Fosters Edition. I am Gino, your host, and I have my two usual suspects with me, KK Emmett and Sylvia Beachy, who are very exhausted and tired today because they were dealing with what? What city was that again, Sylvia? Uh, the city or the county? It's Walton, Walton County. County. Walton County. Yeah, it's Walton County. It's uh, the county and it's the DA um, that is over the case with the two boys that were adopted by the gay couple and were trafficked through Atlanta. So we, we discussed that case as well. So it was good, but we are, our brains are fried. <laughs> yeah. It's been a long day for you guys. I get it. And you, we were texting earlier and I know you guys, maybe you misunderstood what I was saying, KK. I know you took it the wrong way, so I'm sorry if you took it the wrong way, but I didn't mean it that way. I was like really on your side saying, excellent job. Proud of you too. So <laughs> <laughs> did, did you think I said something bad, KK? No, I oh, was okay. just laughing. Okay, all right, good. Uh, okay, so we have another another great guest on, another whistleblower, actually. We had the FBI whistleblower, Robin Gritz, on a few weeks ago. We have a DHS whistleblower, DHS, yeah, DHS whistleblower. Uh, Aaron Stevenson is a Christian father and whistleblower who exposed child sex trafficking being operated via the U.S. government. Aaron is continuing to expose corruption and is committed to bring child trafficking to an end. Uh, his career in the Marines spanned, uh, was it nine years, Aaron? Eight years, two months. Eight, eight years. And then a DOD contractor from 2010 to 2012 and a DH, DHS employee from 2012 to 2023. Aaron Stevenson, welcome to Rescue the Fosters. How are you, sir? Very well, thank you. We are so pleased to have you, man. Um, Really excited about this because I've, I've, like I was telling you pre-show, I've seen you on multiple podcasts and uh, also the Project Veritas original release. And um, this is a story that needs to be told because as we do on this show and we've been exposing for about nine months now is that for some reason in this country and not only in this country, but we're focused mostly on this country, children are commodities and they're being mm -hmm. trafficked, sold, sexually abused. Uh, they're trying to, God only knows what they're doing in the schools. It's got to stop on our watch. And we're just so happy that there are people that are willing to stick their necks out and say, you know what? I've had enough too. I'm sick of this. And so Aaron, man, we're really, really proud of you. And we're just thankful that you've had the courage to come out and talk about this. So thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you. So let's start at the beginning. Um, how did this all come out? I mean, how did you discover this? Uh, Let's just start right at the beginning. 
No problem. Um, so I went to Project Veritas initially in October of 2020, um, only because I listened to a podcast that James O'Keefe was on, and he was talking about, you know, like, if you see corruption and you're in a, in a spot where you, you can do something about it, you should. And I've been working for the government for this point for, you know, just, just in DHS for about eight years now. And I was like, yeah, the dude's right. It's like, I see what's going on. I see what's wrong every single day. I've, you know, I've been stomped on at work with, you know, a lot of things. I've been blocked by work, a lot of things. I was like, he's right. So I reached out to him and, you know, like let them know who I am. And, you know, if anything pops up in the future, I'll be there. And in December, 2020, um, we started seeing a lot of reporting from CBP talking about like, you know, caravans forming and sorry, CBP being Customs Border Protection. Um, but yeah, caravans forming, like, okay, here comes some migrant waves. We know it's going to happen. We've seen it before. No, nothing too big to deal there. In 2021, in uh, January, this is still around like maybe the 10th or 11th, started seeing a lot of reporting coming in about the nature of these caravans. And it was discussing like the migrants themselves. And now basically it was just really, really poor people. You know, the whole world was locked down for a year. So they're already kind of hurting financially down there anyways, just based off our trade system. But it's like obvious now, we're going to see a mass movement of people uh, for economic reasons so then it's like okay cool here it comes now we know what's coming on and at this point in time this is my uh my, my eighth ninth year inside of dhs but it's my fifth year inside this program called the transnational organized crime uh working group and they they help manage the transnational organized crime watch list it's a mouthful so i'll just say TAC. so whenever i say TAC, that means transnational transnational organized crime I just and say again Transnational organized crime, but we'll be calling it talk. So get ready for the government D's. And you know, I've been on this thing for about five years now, so I'm well aware of the the patterns of information. I'm, I know how the whole thing works. And every single day, I would get these uh, reports that come in called encounters. It was just done by email; it's unclassified. But the encounters were literally the information of every alien who was on the talk watch list that got encountered. And I won't describe all the ways we can counter them, but I'm sure you guys can understand some of them. So for example, if they are on a deportation flight or if, they're, if there's a prison record or if they are applying for a benefit with you know, immigration agencies. And then we would see that coming basically almost live. It's about maybe an hour or two behind. And it would just say like the, the alien's name, what's called the alien number, which is a unique identifier to the person, um, like what gang they're in, the, the reason for the encounter, whatever. So again, I've been seeing this for five years now. And then in February, 2021, one popped in and in the re for the reason why the code, it said uh, six USC 279 UAC sponsor. And I was like, what the hell is that? I don't know, whatever. So kind of let it be, I was doing work, whatever. And then a month later in March, I saw another one of these emails come in that said six USC 279 UAC sponsor. I was like, I think I've seen that before. So I you know copied it, searched in my inbox and I have all the records and it goes through all of them and only matched the one previous one. I was like, okay, well, this must be a new thing. So I Googled it because I didn't know what it meant. And it comes back talking about this program that HHS runs about unaccompanied alien children. And I was like, what do you mean sponsor? I, I thought, because again, I thought this was kids coming over to be with their families. So we looked into it and it's basically not that at all. It's kids that are arriving at the border without any family at all. And you can sponsor one of these children. Like you can take custody of them. And it just seemed weird to me. I'm like, okay, so why would an MS-13 member be trying to get a kid? I was like, wait a minute, why the hell would an MS-13 member trying to get a kid? Mm -hmm. And so that's what kind of led me to start really looking at this thing. So the month goes by, now it's in April of 2021, and I see the third one come in. 
And that was cause for me to go like, okay, that's three and three months. That's one per month. And this is a brand new thing. There's something there, I think. So it's important to remember now our numbers. So there's two important numbers to remember uh, in this whole conversation. One is how many illegal entries or crossings per month done by legal aliens, which is about a quarter million. It's reported less than that, but when you when you count all in, all information, every single person crossing, it's about 250,000 per month. And then you have the number on the talk watch list, and that's at 40,000. It's capped at 40,000, which means that you cannot go over 40,000. Now, the reason why that's significant is in the terrorism watch list, which is a different, different set of data, that doesn't have a cap. That thing has over a million identities on there. But the stock watch list, it's limited. The reason why that's concerning is you know, CBP has done a great job at extending the borders and making sure that you can't just fly in the country or right? you have to have a visa. There's a pre-clearance process. There's a lot of ways they can go like, nope, that guy's not even coming here. Don't let him do it. So when it comes to talk, you know, the talk aliens and the talk groups, that's different because we share this big old Southwest border, which means they can go right across on the land. So we actually see a lot more um, activity from the talk mission as opposed to the international terrorism mission. And Kind of continue with this now i'm seeing one per month still so april goes by may there's my fourth one by june I see a fifth one and i'm already in contact with project veritas saying like listen guys this is a bigger deal than you realize because we're not seeing the full scope of this thing and the major problem with this is we have no idea how many kids are actually being picked up by these dudes and then i went through all the data and showed them like the underlying part of it as well which was this is not just one you know transnational organized crime group doing this it was happening by um, three that I saw at least, which was MS-13, 18th Street Gang, and a Balkan organized crime group. These are not just dudes from one country. This is happening from dudes and women mm. from El Salvador, Honduras, Mexico, that Romanian guy. And it's not just happening in one part of the country. It was happening in a few different spots. So it's like, okay, guys, this thing just started, and all of a sudden we're seeing this thing really explode. What the hell's going on? And in this time frame, starting back from about March, when I realized was, you know, this looks a little weird, I started reaching out to other parts of the government. So I reached out to Components First of DHS because I was a member of that. I was inside of what's called USCIS. That stands for US Citizenship and Immigration Services. And you know, I looked for any products that we had for anything in intelligence-wise, and there was none. No big deal. We usually don't do those things. But then I checked CBP, ICE, uh, Border Patrol, and then also Intelligence Analysis, which is um, a part of like the DHS headquarters. And they're the actual component attached to the intelligence community. And no one had written about, you know, uncompanied alien children, sponsorship, you know, even sex trafficking to these kids coming across. Okay. So they reached out to FBI and DOJ, the terror screening center, um, a couple of the groups, there was one or two in labor, you know, department of labor. And I was like, wow, no one's looking at this thing. So over the summer, I went and sat down with Project Veritas and right before I went there, I printed out this thing called the collection primer. And the collection primer is going to get a little bit government and technical here. Um, so the intelligence cycle, the intelligence process for the government is very structured. You have you know, a, a grand plan of what the president wants to know. And he says, I want to know about either these things from these countries or these countries and these things. And then from there, his cabinet says, okay, this is our mission or this is not our mission. So instead of DHS, we've got things on the way down that say, we want to know about, you know, uh, international terrorist talk. We want to know about drugs, whatever. And then they say, how can your organization tell us these things? So then we look at that and go, okay, well, this is a question we could answer. You know, how are they using immigrant benefits to, you know, be exploiting into the system? 
So I read through this entire primer and the whole thing by primer just means basically like a, a mini book. This whole thing is about 80 pages and it never mentioned sex trafficking once, but this mm. primer was dedicated to organized gang activity. So it's like, okay, the reason why that no one's writing about this is because we're not being told to write about this. We're not being told to look for these things. So I can understand why no one's writing about it. And so by the time this all goes down, um, I reached out to Project Veritas and there were a total of eight total, you know, talk actors that were trying to get kids. And by the time they published it, a ninth one happened. And then I was under the shadows, so people didn't know who I was, but it gets published. Um, you know, the story is not on Twitter. It's not on James's Keep Twitter because they're all booted off. And that was that. Work didn't pick up on it. Work didn't talk about it. There was no, nothing happened after that, aside from some Americans kind of knowing what was going on. And, and that's that. Let me rewind a little bit with this. This is astounding, actually. Oh. So why do you think there was only one per month for those four or five months? Is it Were they slow, roll, slow rolling it and then eventually they were going to kind of ramp it up and just see how far they could get with it? No, I think these, it's just the size inter- of, the, of the watch list. Because okay. it's important to understand, too. Because it's, it's only 40,000? It's only 40,000, but okay. it's also the insidious way that you're put on the watch list. So... If you were on that watch list and you're, you know, a bad guy, but you're in the country, or you're trying to cross the border and you're a bad guy on that list, and if you're getting deported, if you do this thing called defensive asylum, which is you on the way out and you say, no, 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 don't, don't. If you guys send me back to my home country, I can be killed, I can be tortured, I'll be persecuted, and then the government has to go, okay, well then we have to listen to your claim, and then you go into this long, long process for defensive asylum, and the thing with the talk watch list. If you made that claim, you were taken off the watch list. So I was there during the creation of this. I was there when it was being argued to do that. No one in the government wanted to do this except for the lawyers at USCIS, DHS, and the Office of Policy at DHS. Like everyone else was like, no, don't don't do that. It's gonna create a massive loophole and people are gonna be able to go, you know. But the reason why also is you're seeing these bad dudes come off the watch list just by exploiting a loophole in the system. Right. Yeah. And I think we also discussed this because um, the border has a lot to do with the child protective services, because a lot of those kids that are coming through, if they're not sponsored, they're going to they're going to child protective services. But we also talked about um, kids in foster care. If they say that they're being abused, we had to look and see if they had a mark or a bruise on them uh, in order to move them. And you're telling me on this watch list, they can just say we were tortured or whatever, and you don't have to look for anything. No. So in this whole process um, for defensive asylum, and again, get a little tactical here, but it's important to learn Mm -hmm. these things. So first you have to get screened by an asylum officer. And this process is one of two different things, which is called a credible fear or reasonable fear. And that is the title of it. It's the name of it. It doesn't mean your fear is credible. It's just like the name of this process, the screening mechanism. And that's all testimony-based. There's scant evidence, if at all, that it was actually delivered. So if I say, well, hey, guys, like I've been tortured back home in my hometown, so you guys can't send me there. The the next follow-up question by policy is not show me the scars. Right. Show me the evidence. You, nope. It's just like, okay, you've said the magic word. Bam, bam. There you go. You now are going to go through and get a positive review. Um, it's a little bit more complex. Not much. That's mm-hmm. how it works. That's the wave tops. And it's 
it's a scam through and through. Why is the watch list so small? Exactly. So when it first started, and this thing started, by the way, under President Obama, um, this is not like a, a new creation and it wasn't even a new process. So we basically copy and pasted the function and like the skeleton from the, uh, the terrorism watch list. So we knew how to work the information flow. We knew like we had the system set up. It's just, okay, you put the meat on the bones now and the meat on the bones is a population of bad guys. Those bad guys were all had to come from a named organization that did transnational organized crime. And transnational organized crime just means you do criminal activity across two countries. One of those is the United States. And at first it started off small because they wanted to make sure that this is like 2016, 2015 timeframe. They wanted to make sure that this thing didn't blow up and get like out of, you know, there's no operational control on it. So they only put on a few named organizations and over time they would slowly add on more. Well, once Trump came in, he was like, no, add on, you know, MS-13, add on 18th street gang, add on the cartels. And this thing was capped at like 10,000 and it maxed out right away. And then it maxed out to 20,000 right away. And then that's when everyone was arguing like, well, we should maybe consider taking the cap off because we keep meeting the threshold pretty fast. And again, it was the attorneys for USCIS, DHS, and the Office of Policy for DHS that was arguing, no, 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 don't do that. When everybody else at the, those meetings, so this was from CBP, ICE, uh, my section of USCIS called FDNS, DOJ, FBI, the Terrorist Screening Center, State Department, like everybody was like, no, oh, just... Just unload, just no cap. Just let let us do our jobs now. Let us find the bad guys. Huh. But the state's gonna do what the state does, and and that was that. Unreal, you know, it's so insidious. And and this is the funny thing. Remember, they told us they're sending their best and brightest over here. They're they're gonna you know empower America, and America's gonna be a much better place. It's always been the plan. They're, I mean, we can go into a bunch of theories. I mean, my theory is they're they're setting up areas for democratic voting zones. They're loading these people in, paying them. And then the crime, it's they're part of that syndicate. There's this mm -hmm. circular thing going on with the money flow between them, between politicians, between the cabal. Uh, some of the, I hate to say it, even some of the border agents are in on it. It's just, it's disgusting. Yeah. It's disgusting what's going on. And, and it's all around trafficking children because children have become the commodity of this planet. And I, Sylvia, we know, and KK knows this, the numbers are absolutely staggering when you look at the amount of kids that go missing in America per year. And that's not yeah. including the trafficking that's coming across the border. So when you add them together, these numbers are just like off the chart. Like no one would even believe them. It right. sounds like fictional yeah. numbers that you're throwing out there. But this is, this is the thing. The media is complicit in it. The media has done absolutely nothing to promote this. Aaron, you should be on some of the biggest shows on, you know, Fox, on, you know, CNN. Well, <laughs> if you'd ever, if you'd ever go, go on, on CNN. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I, I'm skeptical there because I don't want them to craft the message and just kill exactly. it off within a day. Exactly. That's why I, right. I, I only do long form type things. I prefer smaller networks because this is the real agent of change. This is what actually makes that. impact and differences. It's not using state media. I'm done with that. But since you said numbers also about the children, um, yeah, I'm gonna get a little geeky tonight with my, you know, the data I've been, you know, collecting. We, no, we like, yeah, we like geeky, yeah. So um, there's two ways to bring kids into the country when they're not yours. You can either adopt a child, going into the international adoption process, and that's primarily governed by the Hague Convention. Or you can do this thing called, you know, Uncompanied Alien Children Sponsorship. 
So these are two completely different things. And the United States joined the Hague Convention in 2008. And right as we're joining, the number of adoptions from foreign countries to the United States just completely dropped off. Like there's charts of this thing where like China goes from, I think like the 20,000 kids per year down to like, like maybe 2,000. Uh, at this point in time, also a few countries started saying no more adoptions for America. So in like 2012, Russia banned adopting kids to America because of their trafficking concerns. There's one or two African countries for a short term there. Guatemala said no more adopting kids to America because they they saw what was happening. And so the number of international adoptions 10 years ago was around, I think about a little bit more than 8,000 per year. And the number of unaccompanied children being sponsored was around like 13-ish thousand. And I, I got dogs here, sorry. And I don't even hear them. Yeah, okay, yeah I didn't. And so they I have allowed. a quick question. Go ahead. So for like, you were talking about how the two ways is you said adoption and what was the second one? It's called the well UAC or the UC process, which is unaccompanied alien children, also known okay. as unaccompanied children. So going so, back to the international part, because mm -hmm. I don't know, like for my for my situation. So what's happened with me is, like I I'm quite sure that my adopted family, or at least my adopted dad's brother is a part of the masonry stuff yeah. so the reason why i'm asking that is was because i i was adopted through an international so i was adopted in india right yeah and for my case there wasn't an amber alert and normally you Wait, have back to, up why was there an amber alert because um when you ran away uh, well, when I well I ran away. That's why. My bad. Sorry, I ran yeah. away, and then there was an Amber Alert for me. But from what I've heard, is normally people that are in higher power have money typically can only do Amber Alerts. That makes sense. So, so runaways do not get Amber Alerts. Right. Yeah. Right. So basically, only thing I'm asking is well, not really asking, more so just my theory is like i wonder if i was sex trafficked or or something because i don't know my case is weird honestly there's a lot i don't really know so that's the only reason why yeah. i brought that up no it's okay yeah um no it's good it, it connects because kk is one of those children that they come across right they have no documentation um and kk was one of those kids that was on the streets uh, they just found her roaming and they guessed her age by her teeth. And so she has, she has, she doesn't really know her, you know, age or her date of birth. There's, you know, it's a made up. Uh, so this all connects, right? Right. So it was a good, it was a good thing, KK. No, it definitely is. Um, and that's the, and Kaz can asked, and I want to, you know, get too personal. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to, you can skip yeah. this. What year was this? For me? Yeah. Um, well, I don't remember exactly when I was found. I just know that um, I came when, to America. Yeah, sorry. When did you come to the United States? Uh, 2004. Yep, so that's four years prior to all these protections that came in via the Hague Convention. Um, mm -hmm. The Hague Convention is um, it's an international agreement that has, now it's got over 100 countries that are signed on to it. Again, the United States didn't join until 2008. 
this thing started, I think in the late nineties, like 96, 97. And oh, the reason why adoptions have dropped off, because again, way back in 2012, there were, like I said, a little bit over 8,000 international adoptions per year. Just last year, there was 1,785 because there are so many layers in place that require uh, decision points and action points, not just from the United States government, but also from international governments, as well as accredited licensed like fostering agencies and mm -hmm. other entities in play. So it's like, you got a triple layer process where like everyone's constantly looking over paperwork and checking yourselves. And not to say that government's amazing, but in this process, like there's a lot of accountability and a ton of oversight and that's what drives it down. But international adoptions are down about 80% over 10 years. For the unaccompanied children, back in 2012, like I said, there was about 13,000 kids per year. Last year, there was 128,000. So quick math, that's about 840% increase over 10 years. Oh so, well, exactly. And that shows you the, the real scope of not only what's happening, but the intent of it. And outside of 2020, you know, the one year where we control the border, it's in a steady increase of the whole time. So wow. it's important to understand that because you are right. The numbers are just mind blowing. And those are, don't forget only kids that use this program. It's a mm -hmm. ton of kids coming across as well that just get taken over the border and never find ever again. Right. And then we were also getting reports from people at the border that, um, kids were, well, kids were reporting that they were either being taken from their family uh, or their family killed or their family was given them up because, you know, it was basically a work, you know, we'll take your kid over and uh, they'll work it off. And it was a promise that was not legit, but yeah. um, it's that's, not a utopia. That just that's, burned me up. Wow. See, because like, I wonder why I told my adopted mom that my mom died. So I wonder if they killed her. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, the whole thing... I'm sorry, I'm just bringing that up because she no, brought up a book But, KK, your story is very relevant to what Aaron's uh -huh. talking about here. Very relevant. So, I mean, it's I'm glad you're bringing up questions. Aaron, i got to ask you something. In your office, you know, I don't know how many people were working in your little space there. Um, did anybody else notice any of this stuff? I mean, like, when they were looking at the numbers, did anybody else bring it no. to anybody's attention? No, but so my office at USCIS... Um, we were only dealing with uh, what, what administers your typical legal uh, immigration. So we would look at, at you know, still patterns and trends of bad actors and terrorists, whatever else, but typically only those that were within the USCIS like mission. So they were looking at like, you know, visa programs or whatever else. I saw this because I'm on the talk program, the talk working group. Mm -hmm. So I was getting access to all the information and I would share all these. Now you can actually continue this though. I would share every single one of these um, with another part of our, my intelligence unit where they're supposed to be like writing reports, you know, intelligence reports on this, just describing what's going on with aliens. And this is where it gets difficult. And the reason, the main reason why I decided to go uh, to Project Veritas is I've written previously uh, two, two intelligence papers, unclassified. It's nothing that we can't talk about, um, but it was how talk, talk groups, so, you know, or, organized crime groups, how they are exploiting the immigration process, because that answers some of the questions that the executive branch asks. And both times they were blocked by a component of my agency called, um, uh, it's called RAO, it stands for Refugee Asylum International Operations. And they stepped out of their boundary to do this. So 
in the intelligence world, you can have a release authority, which means you have the authority to release an intelligence document. <clears throat> so we wrote what's called Intel notes, like two pagers, three pagers. It's not deep analysis. It's just okay. like, hey, y'all, this is going on. And we can publish those by ourselves as long as we have leadership approval. And I wrote two of these papers up and they both got approved, but then somehow, some way, you know, rail gets wind of it. And then these guys walk in and are like, no, we disagree with the analysis. No, we disagree with the numbers. So we show them the data, we go through everything and we prove the whole case, but then they still have the institutional power, the cultural power to just block whatever we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was like, okay, I have tried my best. Like I've done everything I could do mm -hmm. to go forward. I've tried finding friends. I've tried finding whatever. And this is why I didn't go to the inspector general because all that would happen oh, yeah. is I give them the information. Six months later, they yep. say, thank you for giving us this information. And then nothing <laughs> happens. Exactly. So I was like, no, I'm not going to bother. If you had to theorize why they stop it, what, what do you think the reason is? Uh, oh, you mean the, the, or the part of my agency that stopped it, that blocked it? Yeah, yeah. Makes them look, makes them look bad. It makes, okay. uh, they, have, they have a reason more ideological, which is it would show major problems within their program. And then that would require oversight and change. And they do not want to do that at all. They are their true power of my agency, USCIS. Uh, and there's more coming out on this. There's going to be a bigger thing on this. But they are the true drivers of what happens at this agency. And they don't want to have anything be done because it affects their mission. And they're, they're believers of this cause. They really do believe in getting everybody in and pushing everything else through. Um, and that's not We're too different, though, from everybody else that is benefiting from this trafficking operation. Everybody involved benefits. You know, the cartels, they want this to continue because they make their money that way. You have um, the end user, they're getting their benefit, which is exploiting the child. Um, and just to be clear, in case people don't know this, the, the two results of trafficking is either the kid is gonna be in forced prostitution or the kid's gonna be a, a, yeah. enslaved. Right. And it's just slave labor, that's it. So it's yeah. like, no, this is worth it to stop guys. And then the government, they get their benefit out of this because those that are involved politically, they can talk about it and they all love political clout or um, their system stays afloat. And that's one major thing that a lot of these things people don't understand is just how much we require this kind of slave labor for a lot of our industries, especially like agricultural work, because we're so much now of a service industry and there's no fair wages for workers anymore. They got to bring in cheap labor to make mm -hmm. sure that the machine kind of stays running. So everybody that is involved in the operation, they continue to you know, be benefited by it, to including the nonprofits. So nonprofits that facilitate the kids and they do all the quote unquote case management and the home studies, which they don't, right. they get a lot of money though to not do their job. So everyone's getting their pockets greased except for the children who are being exploited. Of course. And I'm sorry, I think it's pretty clear. You know, <laughs> it's like, nope, I'm not on their side. I'm, you know, this is an easy one, guys. Sorry. So right. what's the what's the annual budget of uh was it the USCIS? What yeah, oh man, their budget. I don't even know. Um, but we're allegedly a quote unquote fee funded agency, which means all the fees that aliens submit for their immigration is supposed to be paying for, you know, everything that we do, our overhead, our operating costs, our salaries, everything. Um, that's not true. We get a lot of money from Congress. Uh even actually just recently, before I got fired, um, they were pushing through now that um, asylum applicants, that'll be taxpayer funded as well. So wow. they're supposed to pay like 50 bucks for their asylum form. And now it's like, no, now we'll, we'll be paying for that as well. Unreal. And this is all coming Stop out of paying all... your taxes. Exactly. It, it, <laughs> the, 
we we definitely need Boston Tea Party 2.0. I'm telling you, like it's it's to the point where all of our money is used for their whatever their slush funds are, wherever they're, you know, like like Aaron said, grease in their pockets. That's what it's all about. And then on top of it, you look into the satanic ritual abuse and the stuff they're doing with children on that end of it. It's just really, really sick. Uh, so, Aaron, like, what's the solution? I mean, now that you're out of there, you, you got the, you know, you had your 40,000 foot view and now you're kind of looking back hindsight's 2020. What would, is there anything you would have changed? Because it seems like you did all the, everything you could as far as protocols oh. go. So you couldn't have changed no, anything. Yeah. But, but, but what could no. change to make this system actually work? Okay. Um, so there's a few ways to look at that. So one way is, which this is one of my, I strongly hold this view is if you want kids to stop being trafficked through this unaccompanied children program, you have to stop the unaccompanied children program. I don't believe it should exist right now. I think it has to have a complete stop and then erasure. And if they want to go ahead and recreate the program, start from the ground up, start from scratch. But if there's one kid being trafficked that there and there is, that's too many. But on top of that, the true numbers, about 35% of these kids are getting trafficked. So we're talking about 120,000 a year, 35% of that is around what, like 15,000 or whatever. That's it's crazy. like, no, yeah. this is, yeah, this, this is just not a thing that is acceptable. So way too many kids are getting trafficked. Um, but then if people want to continue their uh, political route, yeah, sure. There's maybe some possibilities there. I don't recommend going to the federal government because nope. if you go to, if you go to your legislature, if you go to the, sorry, the, the house of representatives, sure. They might write a law. They might write a law that says don't traffic kids like we already have those laws though and even if they create new ones all the administrative state's going to do is hack it to pieces and to continue the program so that's not that's not a fix so state legislatures um i think there's a better chance there they can have accountability what goes on in their state i think they can start blocking access to these uh, facilities that orr runs this is the actual office of hhs that facilitates the program um they can I think a good way of doing that would be to defederalize the jurisdiction. I don't think trafficking and kidnapping should be a federal crime anymore. We have the internet. We have states that can cooperate very easily. I think this is best solved from like the city cop slash sheriff level up to like your state, you know, state law enforcement, state troopers. I think that'd be the better catalyst to be able to save kids as opposed to using any type of federal system. I think it's a joke. If they can't do that, okay, fine. You won't give jurisdiction only to lower entity, then allow them to partake in it. So if uh, lowest law enforcement up to state, if they can like find, oh, sorry, if they start an investigation into a you know a child being endangered and harmed, and it comes across that they were part of these programs, I think by law, they should have access to every single bit of data, piece of paper that mm -hmm. that kid has housed by HHS. Because right sure. now all the information is completely housed off. And it's like, huh. you understand how quick these kids could be saved if people that cared had the chance. Well, there's your local cops. Those are your, you know, your 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 county sheriffs. They could do this problem, no problem at all. Um, but I don't think it will until people understand the problem. So that's what I'm trying to do right now is to make it make sense because it's government. It's complicated, right? It's hard to understand these things when it's it's written across different laws, different, you know, the floor settlement agreement. Um, you've got uh, the the policy guide from HHS. You've got field guidance, which is constantly getting superseded and what counts, what doesn't. So make it make sense, make it consumable, make it digestible. And I thought about ways to do this. Um, I talked to Tara about this and she thinks it's a good idea. I say we should just start setting up like almost like an informational kiosk in an airport. 
Um, Cause I've talked to a lot of people about these things. And the main reason why people a don't like hearing about this is because it's horrible, but also because they're busy. So I'm not going to blame them for that. I'm not going to judge them for that. We all live complicated lives, but if you go to the airport, everyone's got about an hour and a half of downtime. Finally, sure. They check some emails, but otherwise it's like people actually have a chance to kind of like unwind for a bit there. And you're also going to get a lot of foot traffic and it's going to spread quickly because these are airports. So I just keep saying, like, I think we should target the 10 busiest areas. I'll, I'll rephrase that for the feds. I think we should focus on the 10 busiest airports and really start just kind of having a presence there. Then have the airlines pay for it. You know, there's a lot, a lot of these airlines have anti-trafficking, you know, campaigns or messages. Fine. Cool. Sponsor our booth, sponsor some way for us to get this message across so people can start being aware of these things. I think it's the best yeah. way to connect with people, um, especially on a personal scale, because it's, it's not just like a video that you can skip over. Mm-hmm. Just walk past it, and all you need is two minutes of someone's attention, and then they will remember their information. And then let the people start being their own catalyst for change. Um, that and mom groups. I, I fully believe that um, since moms are moms, they are the people that care the most about yeah. kids. Mm-hmm. And I think if we can get through to them and let them know what's actually happening, you know, I, I've talked to dudes about this stuff, talked to dads, and like they all have the same reaction mostly. Some are a little bit more, but mostly a lot of guys are like, oh man, that's horrible. That's like about it. Yeah. Moms keep Start asking talking. for more. Like I'll, yeah. I'll talk to women. Yeah. They're like, what the hell 100%. do you mean? Like, who's doing this? Yeah. How is that? And you can see them like, just give them the meat, guys. Let let them go with it. And oh, yeah. that's the only other thing I would want to do is basically airports and moms. I think that is the quickest, most efficient way to get people aware of these things. So if people are then you know, desiring a, a political process to go through it, which I'm not going to say whatever on that one. If mm-hmm. they do, they're at least now armed with information and they can't get talked down from by the state legislatures or even by the federal representatives. Because that's the one thing they're going to do is they'll go to Congress, it's going to die. But if you get pissed mm-hmm. off people that are also smart, well, now you're dealing with people that care and they know what they're talking about. And that helps right. out a lot. Right. Those um, are very practical ideas. This. Yeah. Um, I love this idea just because working with sex trafficking kids, we had um, a lot of training. And the one thing that they taught us was how to look for um, sex trafficking victims. And the the best place is, like you said, the airport. And I, that's one thing that we talked about was teaching a class on what to look for. And um, there, are, there are things that you can notice and um there's also a lot of flight attendants that are getting you know like notes from uh victims like help me and you know so the airport is actually the perfect place yeah um so i love that idea the other idea i love is the moms you make a mom mad and she's gonna find out who did it where they did it where they live who they're connected with and they're gonna connect all the dots so just right. let the moms, and, and honestly, we, we talked about this uh, earlier today in one of our meetings was getting moms and especially single moms because they're targeted single moms that don't have the means to hire an attorney are targeted. And then when they do speak up, they are gang stalked. I've got so many cases that are calling me. Um, that are being gang stalked and lives threatened and their kids are afraid, but they're single moms. And guess what? They've connected it all. The, I mean, she's yeah. connected the nonprofits to the sheriffs, to the police, to the judges. 
because she's a mom and she's like, no, this is not going to happen. So I, I think both of those ideas are, are fantastic. And honestly, that's the, um, I've talked to, you know, cause I know people in my life. So I've talked to like what you can consider like moderates or right wing, but I've talked to some lefties too. And mm-hmm. those moms that are even like, you know, you know, Hey man, like the hippies, they get pissed off. A mom when they is start a hearing mom. about these things. Yeah. Right. It's like, that's, I think one, it's like, we, we have to connect to them somehow. And I've reached out to some groups. It's just that, I don't know. I don't know I how to, because I don't that. want to start. I already have like a ton, like, yeah, we, uh, we, Gino can tell you, we've started a whole list of uh, people, but uh, we're also getting, we're also receiving calls like crazy from, and it's single moms that are calling me um, that are, you know, just desperate. So yeah, we can definitely help you with that as well. I think one of the main Please. problems we have is an ideological problem, especially in your department, anything in government that, like you said, these left leaning people have this ideology that this is what's best for them. So not reuniting them with their family is best for a child. I mean, that, that never makes sense. We know the stats on that are off the chart that that kid's going to have all kinds of issues and suicide is at the top of the list. And so for them to say like, oh, well, you know, we're promoting all these good things. There's nothing good about it. Not one thing. The child is at risk the entire time, whether they're, they're coming across the border or they're in America. It's that child is at risk for, for predators. It's disgusting. Yeah. And people need to start learning some basic data. When you come across people, the lifespan, the average lifespan of a trafficking victim is seven to 10 years. That's on average. And it can, you, there's a lot worse things you can start talking about. The average age of a girl who gets sex trafficked is seven, sorry, is 13 years old. So it's right. like, just, you need to start, you know, people need to start being aware of these things and don't get dominated in the conversation. It's, you know, it's okay to stand your ground and just like, no, you're wrong in this one. Let me explain it. And if you just start hitting with certain data points and certain just objection, you know, actual facts, they, they will stop doing the like, no man, like we just want to they will get cut through once they start hearing these things, especially the the women demographic. Yes. And I think the other thing with the left, I don't think that, I think a lot of them are, it's just like they would prefer to live in their little bubble. They, they yeah. think of this utopia world where these people are coming from these horrible countries. And if we just let them in, then they're going to live a happy, amazing life. Well, no, you just open them up to sex trafficking, human trafficking, organ harvesting, and not to mention the journey. And most of them are usually raped multiple times before they even make it halfway through. And some of them are just out in the desert. So, like, we got to break this utopia idea. Yeah. And it gets worse. So, you know, because now people can say, like, oh, well, now we can, you know, exercise our power again. So I keep saying don't go to the feds. I do have this big anti-fed thing. Thing, right well in 2023 state department came out and you can google this right now if you want which was talking about how mm-hmm. they're going to partner up with hhs to basically do private sponsorship for refugees there there cannot be a faster program to traffic people in other than a private sponsorship for refugees these are poor people private. being exploited these are you know yeah by like just individuals in america getting somebody in somewhere in the world so, so how do they bet them don't fit they don't bet them now this is what See, i'm saying this is insane this is so insane it's insane but it's real it's the actual thing but for years now and this is not just since i came out 
for years now, it's been known about child trafficking. It's known about human trafficking. So this is not a thing that the government's not aware of. They understand the pattern and how it works, but they come up with policies like this. Like, oh yeah, let's have just normal Americans start taking people in. It's like, yeah, there are some very bad Americans out there that will try to get children for bad purposes. This is not like groundbreaking stuff, guys. But And um, who is the best at faking? It's the narcissistic pedophile that is the best at faking and the best smooth talker and the one that will love you and you will love them and you won't think anything of it. And it's usually the narcissistic pedophile, which blows my mind with the foster system because we expect to go in these houses and spend 30 minutes a month and know exactly if they're a pedophile or not. And no, they're, they're this wonderful person that loves these kids and they take care of them. And, and then you hear from the kid that they're being abused. Exactly. You know, that's why I say this is a criminal syndicate. They, uh, you could end this. This isn't hard. Just like you said, it's not groundbreaking. It's not rocket science. This could end easily. Easily. This is not hard at all to stop. And it both on the border and in the foster care system and what's going on with all, all of this right now. You get some good minds together. You get people that have been in the field that understand how it works, how it operates, the inner workings of it. And it's done. You end this thing. Well, you, you put and, and like you said, there are laws. This is the thing I think a lot of people don't know. There are laws that are already on the book that are just ignored. They're 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 pushed mm -hmm. under the rug, and they mm -hmm. pretend like they're not there. And then they say, "Well, we got to create create more legislators." No, you don't. There's enough laws right now to end this. Yeah, it's uh -huh. it's stupid. Yeah. And honestly, I don't I don't even think I don't think you need that many people. I think five thousand dedicated people could put a stop to this thing. Um, but on top of that, I think the um, an, another problem that I've not, I should say problem, the observation I've come across is a lot of right now, the the effort to kind of end this, and this is a good and bad thing. It's a little disjointed. It's a little decentralized. That's good because when it gets attacked by the state, by the establishment, that's just one thing that might fall off and everyone, these other nodes or other groups can still operate. But it's also a problem because I don't think the information sharing and coordination is that great, or what we would call the unity of effort. Mm -hmm. I think there's a great way we can start, you know, linking up and at least getting certain things across. Yeah. Um, not organizing where it's like a unity of command, not that at all, but definitely the point where it's like, no, no, guys, information flow has got to work a little bit better. You know, who knows somebody in this state? Who knows someone over there? You can yeah. kind of start sharing notes. And you basically act as like, if you were, pardon my, you know, pardon my experience here, you act as an insurgency. And those are the very decentralized, there's easy ways to operate, but it would be the most effective because you're going against a very large central authority called the government. And you need to basically learn how to operate in their environment. And it's not that difficult. It takes good communication and just dedication, really. Yeah. You're not going to have a lot of numbers, but you don't need a lot of numbers. It's good to have a lot of passive support and you can go from there, basically, I think. I have one last question. Um... Did you hear anything about the the planes that were being like they were taking kids um, in the middle of the night in planes? No, so I learned of that through the Project Veritas uh, leaked video, um, and I know that I want to talk about this, but I learned about that one. What was it? Late twenty twenty one. Yeah, and I think so. I, like I didn't know how it was contracted out. I didn't know. Like I was so dumb to these things. Um, even the program as a whole, I didn't start getting wise to the uncompeted child program until. Basically, the end of 2022 when, okay, I know I'm getting fired now. So I kind of started using my time a little better. But no, but I didn't know about these things. And it's, it, 
it's hard to understand and grasp because it's like, okay, guys, you're there right now. It's the middle of the night and you're moving a bunch of kids. Like how many more red flags do you need? Like, why is this information getting right. leaked out once, once every few years? Like there should be like groups now that are monitoring these flights with, you know, open source information, public data of the, of the flights mm -hmm. and identifying where these people go. You can do it off cell phone data. There's a, there's so many possibilities that we can do that. I think we should start, you know, honestly, tracking the government. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They track us. Why not? Right. <laughs> Aaron, was there any more retribution from the government after they fired you? Uh, well, Any not yet. Threats? I only got fired back on February 10th. Um, no, and to be fair, too, I want to make sure this is clear, because um, there are there are good people in the federal government. Sure. Problem is, it's also it's also so comfortable. It's a it's a great job, so many benefits, pays well, right? And if you're in the right gig, it's, you know the work's not too bad. Um, so like my my first line supervisor, my second line supervisor, they were awesome. They were so professional. They were good people. Um, the person who actually fired me. Uh, she'd been in my organization for a while. She's a great person. Um, like she looked upset when we were saying goodbye, basically. She's mm -hmm. saying like, you know, hey, this is part of the job and whatever. And I was like, dude, don't no hard feelings. It's like, it's okay. You're, but you're on that side over there now and I'm over here now, which is okay. I wish her mm -hmm. like, you know, wished her well and some personal conversation. But um, yeah, the problem is though, is that there's a lot of, you know, comfortability there as far as retribution. So um, none as of yet, I'm not expecting much. But I also kind of just joined this fight. So we'll see. The only real thing was um I I was a uh a known traveler. So I had the uh you know the the TSA pre-check. Yeah. That's gone now. That, yeah, that <laughs> like that that's that's kind of that <laughs> shady guys. Come on, really? I no longer trusted. Yeah. Um and that's part of it too, is in the in the language they gave me of, of when they removed me from federal service when they fired me is uh one of the things they said is like you know we can no longer trust you we've lost our confidence in you whatever and it's like okay you're the one who, you're the one who's trafficking kids like no offense isn't that not, i know it doesn't right yeah this and, is um, what they always do the they reasons, always turn it upside down gaslighting yeah, so one of the reasons was because they gave me a big packet a thick packet of you know like this is investigation um and one of the things that they said was how i was not careful with the identity of protected class of aliens that were, you know, seeking asylum and other, other protective endeavors. And it's like, you're right. I wasn't careful with them because I was exposing how they're sex traffickers. Right. Like this is, <laughs> you guys aren't, you, you're still not hearing what I've said, guys. And it just comes to a point where it's like, this is another part where it's like, they're never going to get it, but they don't want to get it. And this is not their, it's not their job to get it. Um, and that's fine. It's like, that's, that's the way it is. I'm okay with that but I cannot be on that team anymore. And that's what made me go like, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. Now that I know about it, now that I learned about it, there's no way I'm going to die and go up to God and say, all right, please judge me. How'd I do? And it's like, right. I had access to this. I could have stopped it. What'd you do? And it's like, well, nothing because I was scared. So, and, and that you know, is the point that people do not want to hear about this because then they will have to do something about it. And if they exactly. don't know about it, then they don't have to do anything about it. So it's a cop yeah, to be fair. It would, to be fair, for those that are seeking the cop out, that want to do as little as possible, mm -hmm. fine. Just start tell, tell a friend. Just tell a friend. You know, or tell us. Like the video. You don't even have to. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Be leakers. Be sources. Leave tips. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the best way. If that's all you want to do, then do it. 
Um, I tell people all the time when they talk about like, you know, I want to help out with, you know, these anti-trafficking groups, but I just, I don't know what I would do for them. It's like, what's the best thing that you can do? Organize a spreadsheet, then go organize the spreadsheets. Move boxes, go move Call boxes. Call me, I'll put you to work. <laughs> right. It's like, but do little things to free up their time so yeah. they can do whatever. If yeah. you're if you're really good at a thing, if you're good at writing, you know, you, you want to, or designing right. their media. So do it for them. Give them like five hours a month, once a year. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's, that goes a long mm-hmm. way. Oh yeah. Especially if it's like 5,000 people, you know, so. I have always yeah. felt that it's a public outcry that's going to bring this down. I just, the media is not going to do their job. We have to do it. We, the people got to stand up and say, this is what's going on. This is real and show them the facts. Just like you said, the soccer mm-hmm. moms, the hockey moms, get, look what they've already done in the school boards. These women that have mm-hmm. gone up, you know, and yep. knocked down exactly. CRT and all the stuff they're trying to do. It's the same thing. It's just a lot of voices need to, to come out and be united against this. And, and there, but there does have to be some exposure still because there's just not enough public awareness at this point. We're getting close, I think. But I, like, I think, right. we're, you know, like I was, we were telling you before the show, we're working with Megan Walsh. If Megan's story breaks in yeah. any major news network, it's game over because yeah. of who her father is and who they're connected to. It, it would end, I mean, there would be a public outcry like you would, you've never heard before. So that's what we're working and, towards, not, not only with her, but with others. But, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. That's what I'm trying to do. So no, no, no. That's what I'm trying to do. Well, sorry, two points. Uh, one, I think the media is doing their job, but I think they're state media. So anything that's called corporate media or cable, no, that's state media. And I refuse to say anything otherwise. That includes Washington Post, New York Times, you know. But when it comes to um, the, the information part for people, that's what I'm trying to do right now is, again, make this just, I mean, ridiculously boring and vague and broad subject make it very consumable and digestible in about yeah. 40 minutes. But to deliver it also to where it's like, you know, because then people always ask me again, like, what should we do? And it's like, guys, I don't know the answer there. Like, I'm not good at that. Like, the only thing I could think of is like, go to HHS buildings and I don't know, start yelling at the employees. Like that, that's the best I can get on the way in. They walk through the sidewalk, yell at them. That's all I can think of. But like, that's what people are for. People are creative. They can think of options. And I'm sure there's attorneys out there. They can get involved. But it it takes, you know, the knowledge to get it done. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying to, you know, right now basically create like a briefing that makes it, you know, not boring and just be able to understand like, okay, so what the hell is actually going on? And you can actually go through with it. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of things on it. For example, in May 2021, um, in the in the height, the beginning height of this border crisis that the government was still kind of not really admitting was a crisis, HHS went out and did a notice of proposal to rulemaking. That's called the administrative state changing the rules. And they made changes on the collection of information of when you're interviewing a kid. And for example, one of the things that they did is they took a bunch of questions of like to the child, like, hey, do you have any um, you know, worries about how you be disciplined? Do you have any safety concerns about being with this person? Like a few, few questions, actually a little bit of a line of questioning to the child mm-hmm. to understand what's going on. And they boiled that down to one question, which is, so do you got any worries? That's it. And if people that don't have children, you know, it's easy for it's, they it might get lost on you, but if you have, if you've been around children, you'll always know that when they answer questions to an adult, they typically try to do whatever the adult wants to hear. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you have to like down their level, you got to kind of like reassure them that they're safe and like maybe ask the question three or four times in different ways. So that way they understand it as well. And also because mm-hmm. this kid who doesn't speak English, 
speaking to a person who doesn't look like them, who may sound different, sound kind of funny in this yeah. really weird government setting, they might just go, nope, especially when they're being trafficked and they are being forced and coerced. So why the hell would HHS change that rule? That's one of many. They took away um, the safety plan section and the thing. They took away 16 points of data in the human trafficking section. They just took the data away. Like, no, we're not going to find these things out anymore. And you can sit there and say, like, you know, well, maybe it was redundant. Yeah, maybe it wasn't because you can't be redundant when it's about the safety of a child. You know, patterns overlap and you only get those patterns if you can see the data. Take away the data, you can't see the patterns. It's not that hard. So I just want to, uh, you may, you, you made me think of something in the foster system. Our director and supervisor would say to me, stop asking them so many questions. You're going to get answers that you don't want to deal with. So this is what they're doing. This is all by design, right? Yeah. Not, yep. you know? Sylvia, Sylvia, but not only that, I was going to bring up, what about when the cops are interrogating these poor kids or the CPS agents are, mm -hmm. and, and they're asking coercive questions. They're, they're right. forcing the kids to answer the way they want to hear. And mm -hmm. it's exactly. that's what I was saying. When I called in and talked to Tara that, that night, I couldn't believe the similarities I was hearing from what she experienced and then your story on top of it. It's it's the same thing. It's the same pattern that mm -hmm. we're seeing. And people got to wake up to this stuff, man. Like, you know, Aaron, the other thing I always say on the show is where are all the men? I've, I've said that a million times. You, you said that earlier that, you know, there's, where's the guys? How come the women are, are ready to go? They're ready to fight. But the guys are like, oh man, it's terrible. And then they're, you know, watching a football game or whatever, which I love football. Don't get me wrong. But it's like, at some point, men have to be men and stand up and defend their children. And I don't know what it takes for well, guys to, to get that and actually do something. I would say it's over your left shoulder. If I'm looking at the screen correctly, it's that, it's that lowercase looking T, the cross. That's, that's, right. that's the answer. And I think that we have a major spiritual winter right now happening in this oh, country. Yeah. And I'm not going to sit here and like preach because no, I was I an atheist you, for 10, for 10 years. You know, I only converted, uh, I'm, I'm Eastern Orthodox now. I only converted. Okay. I started going to the, the first, the first day I went to church was after I went public to Project Veritas. Oh, wow. And I've already been kind of like, I was already questioning. It was already kind of like, you know, like 2020 opened my eyes. And I was just like, Maybe I'm wrong in this whole atheist thing. I don't think I'm right anymore, guys. <laughs> and I just started, you know, I, I was researching, I'm you know, being an analyst, researching and reading, I'm talking to people, and I'm just kind of like going through it. And I just, I was just like, I'm going to go to church. And so I went to an Orthodox church because I've read about the religion, like, you know, kind of appreciated and respected it. And I just ran into it at first. I just basically just dove straight in. And I think it's one of the best decisions I've ever made because without God, you know, without seeking his, you know, forgiveness, his love, his protection. There's no way I'd be where I'm at right now. I can understand in a way why I watched corruption for eight years. That's I didn't right. believe in anything. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't follow him. And that's the cool part too, is especially when it comes to protecting children, Jesus Christ was pretty clear when he said, protect children. Oh, yeah. And this is the ways yeah. you do it. And don't let them stumble into sin. It's like, okay, you know, you said it, got it. There's no question there. <laughs> this is an easy one. You know, it's interesting, well, Aaron, that that you actually went to God instead of running away. Usually when people see evil right. like this, they get really mad at him and they're like, oh, how could a good God allow this to happen? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that you actually went to him and says, wow, you know, maybe there is evil in this world and I need to find good and who good, you know, the standard of good is obviously God. So that's very interesting because I've actually heard quite the opposite from a lot of people when they see this type of evil. They're just like, well, there can, how could there be a God? There can't be a God. I've heard that so well, that many was, times I can't was, even tell you. 
yeah, that was my 2020, um, you know, lockdown, government forces do whatever. And I just started questioning everything. Cause I saw a lot of things happening. I was just like, these people all have something in common and I don't know what it is, but I got to figure it out. And it was basically godlessness, but I started asking questions myself of like, you know, okay, well, who, who am I, right? Who am I? What am I? When am I? Where am I? And I started going through it. And I was like, you know, what makes me, me? Okay. My father, I'm a son, I'm a brother. I got, you know, I'm a friend, I'm an analyst, I'm an American. Then I got to, I'm an atheist. And I was like, why am I an atheist? And I started asking questions. And I got to the point where I was like, man, all my arguments are actually really thin. They're actually really weak. Mm-hmm. And I started started reading a little bit, started kind of getting out there. And it took about a year and a half. You know, it took my time. But I was just like, all right, yeah. No, this is re- this is real. God's real. Sorry. <laughs> you know? I can tell you, I can tell you this. We talk about them all the time because without yes. we understand the spiritual warfare that that's at play here and it is thick and heavy and there's times it's, it gets very dark. Um, and you know, yeah. we've, we've talked about it over and over again that in fact, we made it very clear from the beginning that we mm-hmm. all have to understand what we're actually up against. There is an enemy and it's, it's, you know, you can call him the devil, Satan, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him. This entity hates the image of God. He hates image bearers. And so he's going to go mm-hmm. after the most vulnerable, especially because all you got to do is read the old Testament and you see how they were, uh, sent, you know, burning children alive with Molech and Baal and all these other gods they had. And it's the same sacrifice going on today. It's mm-hmm. just, we don't have a big statue and a fire burning in it and people, you know, bringing their kids up. It's just a different way of doing it. And when you, we've actually had a, we had a Satanist, a former Satanist on our show, mm-hmm that was just telling us some horrific stories. I mean, he was involved in like these ritualistic abortions and stuff. I mean, 120 or something like that. I mean, just crazy stuff. So when you know that, you know that angle of it, it makes more sense because you're like, okay, we are up against evil. Okay, so again, we keep talking about patterns overlapping and like, you know, behaviors I just kind of keep reflecting itself. You talked about how terror story and, you know, the CPS story is like, wow, there's so many similarities. Okay, cool. So Field Guidance 20, from HHS about unaccompanied children talks about the need for reproductive health care. Okay. So if you go to the document, it's online and you just do a control find and you type in the word abortion, it pops up 46 times. And if you look up any other type of, you know, it doesn't talk about contraception. doesn't talk about like anything like that. Nope. There's only two other things to talk about, which is the plan B pill is mentioned twice. The entire thing's about abortion. So, some of the things that are important to understand, and it's like, okay, maybe there is this really weird diabolical thing going on. One of the factors that they consider of when they place a child in certain places in the United States, because ORR, the Office of Revenue Resettlement, they've got a lot of different locations. Some are in Texas, some are in California, some are in Nebraska, some are in New York, Michigan, Pennsylvania. And they give a, um, because most of the women are get raped on the way up here, so they give them a pregnancy test. And if they come out as a positive, they will not send the girl to a state that bans abortions. They will only send the girl to a state that has unlimited access to abortions. And because HHS has custody, if they require any type of signature or waiver from the doctor, they're the ones who give it. Um, Speaking of family unification, let's say that that girl who got pregnant, let's say she's got a brother and they came together, they crossed the border. Oh, she's pregnant. Well, we're going to move her to get the abortion, and this kid can stay wherever he's at as a different facility. So you can't have a family unification when you're splitting up a family to do an abortion. Right. So it's like, and you can go into this thing, and again, every single policy document they have has just stuff like this. And it's like, yeah, this is spiritual warfare. This is what we're literally Mm -hmm. fighting against. This is not just political. 
this is a thing where it's, it's I would say it's a diabolical effort. So yeah, it is. Sorry for the rant. You're muted. You're muted. Uh, I know. Thanks. <laughs> they they got to call me out on it. I, it's always once a show at least. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, what I was going to say, Aaron, is, I mean, this is a winnable war, in my opinion. And I think we're really at the cusp and the precipice of this thing, like, of really blowing up. I We've seen tremendous growth in a short amount of time since we've been doing this and uh, making great connections. And I just, I just think that more and more people are coming forward bigger name people you know people that actually have a platform or have some influence in their sphere and i i don't know i don't see this going on forever i really feel like it's going to end on our watch and this is going to be history and it's going to things things are going to change significantly i i just since we started this i don't know it was june last year whatever it was i mean i can't believe how far it's come in such a short amount of time like it's this is i think the yeah, I think the awareness is definitely starting to happen. But moms, if you're out there listening, please make a stink yes. about it. Raise your voice. Don't be scared. Talk to your neighbors about it. Just like Aaron said, the more people we talk to, the more this information gets out. Yeah, no one wants to hear it. Of course not. It's it's sick. I don't like I don't like talking and about I, this. You know, we kidding. have to. It, it, especially ahead. mom groups. Especially mom groups. If you guys organize a meeting, I will fly out and deliver the presentation and give you guys all the data you need. Like, I'm so happy to help out in this regard. Even if this is virtual and you guys want to do an online thing, I'm okay with that. Like whatever it takes to be completely armed. So that way you cannot be, you know, basically bullied and punked out by, you know, the state. Cause that's what they're going to do. They're going to convince you you're wrong. They're going to give you, Oh, look at this data though. They, they do home studies. No, they don't. I'll show you. Oh, but they do background checks. No, they don't. I'll show you. They're showing you law. But the real, the real tool they use is called administrative law. That is what's the actual process and how they govern. And if you read their policies and what actually goes on, it is completely not what you would think it is. So hit up the show, DM me, whatever. Like, I'm so happy to help out. Yeah, and maybe we should that. do something like, a, um, like uh, just like a training online where you can post it, you know, because that's yeah. what... Uh, Ann and I were wanting to do with like case managing is teaching people the rights and um, and we were thinking about doing like a training on you know different things like the system but then sex trafficking and like you know just different we could do something like that that might be a good idea definitely yeah yeah Aaron you know uh, the big patriotic movement that's really happened over the last seven eight years I heard a lot of people talking to me in game about, you know, yeah, this, this trafficking has got to stop, you know, and all this stuff. And I just, yeah. I'm, I, I gotten sick of seeing no action and I'm not, I'm not trying to call anybody out specifically. Actually, um, Sean Anon right here on uh, Foxhole and the guys were Johnny Q and, and Jimmy and all them guys. I'm, these guys started speaking up, which is awesome. I mean, those guys are amazing and I'm just so happy that, you know, they're part of the team, but it's like, we need more, we need more men. Cause I'm telling you, we put them on their heels it's game over for him. Game over. And this, you know, all this, how do you, how do you not recognize that MS 13, what they do, we know what they do to just adults. I mean, they maim them and just, right. they torture them. It's disgusting. What do you think they're doing to children? I mean, it's Such shocking. Of course, prostitution. Oh, oh my gosh, Aaron, we had that lady on that's uh, doing that documentary, Christy. And she told us, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to be graphic here. They would, they would gut the children 
and sew mm-hmm. them back up with drugs inside of their bodies. So they'd, they'd get rid of all their internal organs, fill them up with drugs, and then tr- and then look like they're holding a baby with, you know, in like a little blanket or something and just carry across like, you know, who knows how many kilos of uh, Coke or fentanyl or whatever they're bringing. I mean, that's how sick mm-hmm. it is. They have no yeah, regard for life at all. Zero. Right. Sick stuff. Sick stuff, man. So I don't want to end on a <laughs> That's a horrible note to end on, but <laughs> sorry, guys. But I, I mean, I don't know what else to do. No. Like, it's it's just, it's got to end. It has to stop. So, Aaron, it man, does, I, um... I, mean, I was just going to say, any last words? or go, If you got more to say, we got time. So it's up to you. I just don't want to take your whole night no, if you got things to do. It, especially right now, if you're watching this, you're pissed off whenever, whenever this gets viewed by you. Um, so my, well, so you guys are on Twitter and you got your own contact information right there, right? Mm-hmm. Like they don't get hold of you guys. So yeah. Yeah. And my number is out there. My number is out there. My phone number's out there. My email, my Twitter, my, you can, you can get a hold of me. Yeah. So yeah. if you have questions, hit them up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They'll hit me up or you can go to, you know, Call me out on Twitter. It's at called out DHS. I use underscores between each word. Um, but like demand to know more because this, we're literally not even scraping the surface. So uh, right. Sylvie and I, we talked, uh, what was it about a week ago, give or take a little bit, we can have to go. Cause I didn't know much about the domestic operations of child trafficking. We talked like an hour and a half and we covered maybe five to six months of your experience. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh wow, I really have no idea what's going on. And then that led me to another phone call that I had with somebody else. And he works on like a legal side of things. We talked for almost about an hour and a half. And I'm just, you know, getting just bomb after bomb of just, mm-hmm. you know, oh, that's happening. Oh, that is actually real. And you kind of get mm-hmm. further and further into it. So mm-hmm. it's a lot worse than you think. Pray. Yep. That's always the first answer is just start praying, go to church, mm-hmm. get strong that way, get spiritually strong, and then start running after it. Like hit up whatever you can. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ways to do this. Mom groups. Please reach out. <laughs> and if you get any pull with airports, call us so we can figure things out too. Well, you oh, know, yeah. I was thing... in the travel industry. I was in the travel industry. I have friends in the travel. Yeah, that's <laughs> getting, getting put us in touch. You know, the other thing that was that my I think... background before foster care. The other thing people forget about is, you know, they think, well, it can't be happening in my town. Trust me. Yeah, it is. If it's not it's happening, happening in your town, in your town. it's it's happening to the, to the town right next to you. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere. That's how prevalent it is in the United States of America. Not just here. I mean, worldwide. But we genuinely, in, you know, generally try to focus on America. But, yeah, it's got to stop. So, man, Aaron, so good having you on. Appreciate your story. You. Appreciate your courage. Uh, I know we're going to have Tara on here in a week or two, I think. Is, no, Saturday. Oh, Saturday. Oh, my gosh. Okay, sorry. You guys know Tara Rodas? <laughs> Tara's yeah. coming on, yeah. yeah. She's so awesome. She's like my favorite person. I love her. She's such yeah. a sweetheart. Like, I mean, she is so yeah, genuine. I'm excited like, to meet, to yeah. talk to her. I haven't spoken with her. She seems really busy. It's like, you're just going to sit there and go like, angel, hero, angel, right. hero, which one is this? <laughs> I'm serious. She's amazing. She is amazing. Yeah. But Aaron, so good to have you, man. Um, yeah. Keep in touch. Thanks, sir. Um, and we will uh, we'll share all our information. If you want, can you hang on after for a couple of minutes and we'll share phone sure. numbers or whatever or, okay cool of course uh, so so guys thank you so much for joining us have a blessed night appreciate you oh by the way if you can give to aaron's give send go it's dhs whistleblower 
Um, if you can donate anything, every dollar counts. He would definitely appreciate that. You know, he has been under some attacks here, so he needs, you know, needs a little help. And we need to help people that are courageous like this, coming out and standing up for what's right. So if you can do it, we appreciate it. I know it's tough times out there, man. Everybody's, <laughs> seems like everybody I'm talking to is just struggling right now. So uh, we're all in it together. Yeah under uh in biden's america i always say my kids the get biden diet every... <laughs> the Biden, yeah there's the biden's america is a land of lack that's what i uh my my family's so sick of hearing me say it but it is what it is guys we love you thank you so much for that's joining cool. us appreciate you and you guys just have a great night and i i will see you guys tomorrow night 7 30 on insight live and uh we'll have some good topics tomorrow see you then